Welcome to Entrepreneur Conundrum with Virginia Purnell, where growing entrepreneurs share how they get visible online. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Kimberly Spencer about how she helps people embrace who they are and rock it. Kimberly is an award-winning, high-performance, trauma-informed coach and trainer, Amazon best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and the founder of crownyourself.com, helping visionary leaders transform their self-limiting stories, build their empire, stand out fearlessly, and make the income and the impact they deserve. From her entrepreneurial beginnings at five, selling bags of glitter water to her neighbors, to becoming an award-winning screenwriting certified Pilates instructor, Miss Congeniality, and six times WeGo Health Activist Award nominee, Kimberly is proof that it's better to make your own mold than to conform to someone else's. She's also the former executive of a national e-commerce startup and was the owner of the private Pilates studio, Fitness with Kim in Los Angeles, California. Her work has been featured on Netflix, The CW, ESPN, Chicken Soup for the Soul, NPR, Thrive Global, CNBC, and Forbes. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me, Virginia. <laughs> it's nice to be broadcasting from our mutual farms. <laughs> right? So peaceful that way. So peaceful. <laughs> All right. So I just have to start off that reading your intro has made me kind of tired. <laughs> like, you had a lot going on, girl. Yeah, and I'm just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've kind of touched on some of your points, but how did you get to be where you are today? Well, I was blessed that I was raised with two entrepreneur parents that didn't think that going off and starting a business and creating money from nothing, it was a crazy idea. They always supported that. And at first I wanted to be in Hollywood because growing up in Los Angeles, that was the only place that I saw where people were making the level of income that I wanted to make multiple millions of dollars and having the level of impact with that money. Like I would see celebrities going to charity events and, you know, standing up for causes that they believed in. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I thought that that was my path was in Hollywood. And I graduated with two scholarships, was supposed to go to this award-winning you know, musical theater school to learn. And I ended up dropping out two weeks before I started <laughs> and for an acting class in Los Angeles. And my family always knew that I was a hustler for lack of a better term. Like I, I will put in the diligent work. I will work it until it works and I will figure out what to do. I don't necessarily believe in hard work for the sake of hard, but I do believe in put it, there are certain diligent work and relationship building skills that you need to have to build a business. And I always treated show business like a business. And then as I was on my path to showbiz success, <laughs> I I needed a bridge job. And so I was looking for a job that because fortunately, I, I didn't really need to have a job because every all my funds that were saved up for college that my parents had saved up for me, they said that they would invest it into my career for the first two years of my of of getting started. Like that's how much they believed in me. And I was very grateful for that, that they saw that passion and belief. So from there, I the two years was coming up <laughs> to an end and I was like, <laughs> I need a job, but I didn't want to go wait tables. I wanted to do something that I could be of service. And that was when a friend of mine introduced me to Pilates and 
lo and behold, I did it. And this was the first time, like I'd struggled with silently with an eating disorder for about 10 years. And I, for the first time after doing Pilates, I felt amazing in my body. And that was the first sort of intuitive gut calling of like, I need to go teach this. I need to go serve people with this. And that was my first business. So I immediately got certified within a year. I had become the highest paid youngest instructor at the studio that I was freelancing at and the most fully booked. And it really came from, and that was while simultaneously writing the film that would go off and get produced and distributed by Lionsgate and on Netflix called Bro. And I was doing both jobs at the same time, which people thought was crazy, pursuing two careers simultaneously. And I've just realized that that's just kind of me. (laughs) And I'm okay with that. But fast forward, the premiere of of, uh, the film came out. And it was at the premiere that I realized it was only about 90% fulfilled. And I said, okay, that's interesting. Lifelong dream achieved at 24. What next? And I had the opportunity to maybe write some other screenplays for some lower budget projects. And I I realized that I wasn't 100% fulfilled in it, so like in the role of screenwriter, because what the screenwriter does is they kind of architect the the story, which I I love, but they don't get to direct. They're not they're not in the weeds. They're not producing. They're not involved with like really too much of the final product, um, unless they have a producer's credit. And I realized I liked directing more of my own show. That was one of the things I liked about my Pilates business was that I got to kind of direct my clients, direct, like kind of oversee how their body was transforming. And that was when I got an opportunity to come on as a consultant for an e-commerce company. I saw the product, immediately saw the value for Pilates instructors and saw a market. And I said, I don't just want to be a consultant. I want to be a partner. So I I leaped in as president of this e-commerce company for two years and learned so many valuable lessons that I have taken into my past decade of business now. Because fast forward two years later, my business partner and I were struggling really emotionally, relationally, and we'd gotten the product featured in major magazines up on the billboards of New York Times Square. Like I just had pitched it to the first round of Shark Tank auditions. And then my business partner said he wanted to buy me out and I was devastated. And for three months then I had lawyers telling me every belief that I thought I'd healed in every other area of my life of not enoughness, not worthy. I'd never had fear or doubt when it came to my career. I just kind of always went for it. And this was the first time that I was being hit with all of these beliefs that I thought I'd figured out in the direction of my career and my business. And after three months of that, I was a little, I was a little burnt. <laughs> and three weeks before we got, uh, before I got married to my husband, we signed the buyout agreement. I went off on my honeymoon for six weeks in Italy and was like, what am I doing when I get back? And <laughs> that was when my husband and I, like, you know, to entrepreneurs on a honeymoon do we brainstormed (laughs) a lot (laughs) what else are you gonna do for six weeks (laughs) yeah and it was after way too many espressos that I looked at all of these different things that I loved I loved health I loved storytelling I loved film and tv I loved I loved the the production process I loved relationships and I kind of figured all like a few many of these things out to a degree after overcoming multiple challenges and I was like I think you know, I, I saw this as a holistic picture of a, of success with the body, relationships, and business as like this like trifecta of 
beautiful queenliness. And I leaped off the couch and I said, crown yourself. And my husband's like, what's that? And I was like, that's the name of my company. And he's like, great. What do you do? (laughs) My response? I don't know. I think it's something like Marie Forleo. And so I went immediately into everything that I tell my clients not to do, which was productive procrastination, where I was doing, I didn't have clarity in what my product was. I didn't know what problem I was solving, but I knew I had something. And I went off and bought a whole bunch of fancy, you know, filming equipment. I went off and bought a, the domain, got the business registered. Still didn't know what I was doing. Like still had no idea what the business was. And so it got the business cards made. And because I had so been so mired in doubt from, and I didn't realize how I actually probably needed to take some mental health time instead of just immediately diving right back into the next thing, I went and doubted myself so much that even the Pilates studio that I had started, I, and w- that was supporting me, I didn't believe I could run that fully and successfully, like on an unconscious level. I took a side job also teaching Pilates for a chiropractor. And it was when I was about nine months in to teaching at this other studio that I had my business cards printed and I was so excited. And I showed them to one of my clients who was this big DP and I, it was director of photography. And I was like, they said CEO on it. And he's like, what does your company do? (laughs) I was like, dang it. It was the question that was haunting me, considering that I made no money for a year and a half because I had no idea what problem I was solving. And fast forward a year and a half into that, I had spiraled into a very negative mindset of blame, shame, and complaining. And then I found out I was pregnant with my first son. And I was like, the person that I was, wasn't at the level of success, didn't have anything to really show for it. And I realized that my mindset was exactly where I was when I was bulimic and that it was a mindset problem. And I just needed a process to shift it. And then I would have the clarity to move forward with what I needed to do in my business. And so I immediately got certified in NLP, timeline therapy, hypnosis, went to town on my subconscious mind And within a few months, I figured out what product I was selling, which was coaching, and had a process and started booking clients. (laughs) And that changed a lot of things, I bet. And that changed a lot of things. And it rippled for, for, so I've been doing it now successfully for the past seven (laughs) years, making money at it and some pretty darn good money. Um, And now (laughs) I work with, (laughs) yeah, so now, now I work with a lot of the visionary leaders Initially, it was people in the formative stages of their business. Now it's people who have already built an established business. And now they're transitioning into developing that personal brand where they've already built something successful. And now they have to stand out and really shine in who they are and come out from the shadows behind their fancy business titles. No more hiding. No more hiding. (laughs) So how do you get in front of those people? So it comes to relationships and really showing up consistently and building relationships and asking. One of my favorite quotes on the planet is Oprah's. And she says, in life, you get what you have the courage to ask for. And so when I asked to be connected and when I had clarity and as my ideal customer avatar has evolved, it's also being clear on who that person is. And you'll find and you you only realize those boundaries when of who that person is not when you start 
working or attracting those types of people. And you're like, this isn't 100% like my full on <laughs> hell yes client. Like this <laughs> client is amazing. They're great. But they're not like that soul aligned person. And for me, I get got intuitive hits when somebody is a client. And then I just make an ask. So you do. Is it more like networking or one on one type aspect? Or do you kind of do that on like social media too with building the relationships and stuff? Yeah, I do it on social media and, and whatnot. But the biggest thing that I've found is uh, for lead generation is really podcasting because podcasting is such a beautiful, intimate medium where we're having a conversation. Um, you're positioned in a space of authority when you go on as a guest and it's and you you're spending free time to add value to somebody else's audience and so when you're doing that then that is there's a relationship that's being built and it's like kind of what we said like before we hit record of like was well, suddenly there was this in common and there's this in common and we're like oh let's be friends <laughs> and so it's it's but that's how you build relationships is is you be a normal human being and not a, a funky sleazy salesperson and it's and you tr also it comes down to also trusting in the product that you have like I know that with my coaching I deliver results my clients achieve their one-year goal in three months they go off and fulfill their childhood dreams like I have the results and the trust and the process that I provide to provide the results that I know that for the right person it'll be transformative is there a common theme that your clients tend to have when they first come to you yeah, sometimes they've they've been burned from some sort of trauma, whether that is like a shock trauma of something that happened in their adulthood, like maybe a buyout or a bad business experience or a business deal going bust. Like one of my clients just had a very bad business partnership, emotionally abusive, not valued in her in her worth. And then went off to create her own company and then was bringing those same decision making strategies that she was berated for into her business, but then constantly doubting herself. So that was it was a cycle of of doubt and lacking in trust. And so that, that was a decision making pattern that we had to break, because what happens is when we have trauma, we are basing our decisions based off of the past instead of what is ahead of us or actually what may be actually circumstantial. Um and or they've had childhood trauma in their past, which is why it was very important for me to become trauma informed as a coach. And I work with trauma somatically because trauma is processed through the body. So I, I do a top down and a bottom up approach of really looking at and exploring what is the felt sense of certain decisions that you're making in your body? What does it feel like for you versus there are those decisions that we can make that seem logical and rational and they should leave us fulfilled, but they don't. And that's that's either a subconscious issue or maybe it is out of alignment. Um, but a lot of times uh, what I found is that sometimes it's not so much out of alignment, but just their subconscious strategy is misfiring. Do you have any tips or anything that you would be willing to share with our listeners that might be in that same boat? Yeah. So for example, I'll use my own, like when I was struggling in the first year of, and a half of my business, aka not making any money, I think I made like a hundred bucks from one, one client. I 
realize that I was in this cycle of financial bulimia, for lack of a better term, like money was coming in from my side job and from my Pilates business, but it was just getting spit out. And I was making fear-based decisions on what I needed to do, quote unquote, needed to do in my business, should do in my business. Oh, I should do um, blogging. I should do YouTube. But these, all of these decisions that I was making in my business were based on, were avoiding actually the one thing that I needed to do, which was have conversations to build sales. So at the very, at the very minimum, what I had to do was really look at what was it that I was avoiding. And when you can look at what is it that you're avoiding in your business, what is it that you're avoiding dealing with? then that's where the that's where the juiciness is. Like maybe you're avoiding launching your podcast. Maybe you're avoiding going out on podcasts. Maybe you're avoiding posting on social media. Like for example, one of my clients had very low social media numbers, built a successful business in one area, was transitioning into having her own fully, like that that's her business, her thing. She was no longer freelancing for other people. And I said, you got to get your reps in and you got to go on social media and post every day. And I could care less. Like I, when I task, when I do any sort of tasking as a coach, it's not because I think that that's what you should do of that's what's your strategy of what's going to work for you for the rest of time. It's really to to get a commitment because if we work from principle, that's where, that's where the magic actually happens. So a lot of people think in like, oh, it's just, I need to post on social media every day. Not necessarily. It's why, what is the commitment that you're making? And so the commitment for her that she was backing down on and why her social media numbers and why her list was so small was she was didn't have her reps in of practice. And there was all these excuses of fear of like, oh, well, my hair doesn't look good or there's like, I feel like people aren't going to like it or it's not going to gain any traction. So she got to get hit smack dab in the face with the fact that she was posting on social media every day and no one was responding or connecting. And I said, great, now we have something to work with. But it scared her like that. Being out there, putting, being vulnerable, posting on a on a regular basis, posting valuable content on a regular basis, that was something that she had avoided, and so she got to get hit lovingly with all the fears of suddenly she was posting every day, and she's like, "But nothing's happening." I said, "That's exactly the point. Like the point is the for you to get your reps in to practice your speaking skills. So if people see it, hear it, have value in it." That's that those are the tactics of strategy that we can tweak. We can, you know, explore having an Instagram coach who's like, oh, you need to have it like this to format it to have the algorithm love you and whatnot. That's fine. But the point that I work with my clients on are principles like commitment. Are you keeping the commitment to showing up for yourself? When you say you're going to launch a product, do you actually launch it by that date? Like when you say, and so typically a lot of the problems that I see in entrepreneurs is they struggle with commitment. They struggle with doing the thing, courage, doing the thing that scares them the most. A lot of times that's having conversations, asking for the sale. Like I, I was having a conversation with another client the other day and she had was very lucky to be well financially supported by her husband. Um, she'd been a stay at home mom for years and she had she was building her business. She was very skilled at building community, but everything she built was free. And I said, you're going to, I said, your biggest boundary is going to be charging for your services. And 
she's like, well, I was thinking of doing this beta testing program and I do it for free for just six weeks. And I was like, ah, 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 ah. the one thing that you need to be doing is you actually need to get like, it's less about, it's not about the money. It's about the courage. You have to have the courage to charge for your services. And so, or maybe it's the courage to raise your prices. I've had that conversation with so many clients. And then suddenly this whole like conversation of like, but I don't feel worth it. And I'm like, your worth is not tied to your prices. Your worth is tied to the process that you provide results through. You're priceless, babe. Like you are a priceless, amazing human being. There is no worthiness as such a societal construct that's complete BS. Birds don't wonder if they're worthy to eat their food. They just eat it. Like, <laughs> So it's not about worth. It's about what you believe. And when you look at the belief of worthiness, take it completely out of the equation of your pricing, the, the worth is in the value that you provide. Can you provide results with the process? Do you fully 100% back? And if you are the only person that has provided results through your process, like you've received results, like that was that was my process is I I felt both for Pilates and for the mindset work that I do now with my clients, I felt experience live those results receive those. And I was like, this process works. I can do this process. People paid me for my process. They didn't pay me for me. Good. Yeah. You're, you're priceless. <laughs> you are priceless. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think this, when we muddle in our own self-worth into our pricing, it just funkifies everything because the, one of the hardest things that I've seen with entrepreneurs is de-identifying from their business. Your business is not you, nor is your business your baby. Your business is like your car. You want to have it running. You want to have it have systems. You want to have it structure, have structure, but you don't want to be attached to your car. You don't want to have like, you don't, don't want to live in it. Yeah. You don't want to live in it. We're not in the movie cars. <laughs> <laughs> you are not a car. You, It's a vehicle to get you to a place that you want to go. And that's, that's what your business is you don't identify as your car or maybe you do and then that's a deeper subconscious conversation <laughs> to have <laughs> I like that like my husband he's a red seal welder but when people ask him what he got like so what do you do his all his first answer is like well that's my profession he's like but I identify first as a dad and a husband like that's how he likes to answer people. He's like, I'm not a welder, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the words I am are the most powerful words that you will ever utter. And I am very proud of being an entrepreneur and having had the success that I've had for the decades that I've been an entrepreneur. And that's, I am a mom. Like that's why shifting my identity when I had was broke and had was not make like making any money in my business was so important because I had to raise my level of ambition to the level of what was important to me. And you will always rise to the level of your floor. And for me, I could handle, you know, being in debt. I could handle, you know, the money scarcity when I was when it was just me and my husband. But when my son was came along, I was a full-on hell no unavailable because the role of mother was so much more important than the role of, of CEO for me. 
And um, there are certain things that you can tolerate as maybe a single person or even as a married couple. But when it comes to your kids, you're like, oh, hell no, I'm not tolerating that. And so you will always get what you tolerate. And if we can look at what are we tolerating, if you're tall, because our circumstances can be so comfortable. They may not, they may be discomforting, but not enough to actually move you out of pain. And so when you are in a space where there is that pain or fear, that can be a very motivating factor. And that's another thing that I work with a lot of my clients on is some of them have built very, very, very successful businesses from a place of running away from what they don't want. They didn't want to be locked into a corporate job. They didn't want to turn out like their parents. They didn't want to, you know, fill in the blank. So they built as fast and as furious as they could, scaled it, built some epic businesses, and then realized that they don't know how to sustain it because their motivation strategy subconsciously is always operating from fear. And so because of that, they would create little fires of fear in their business, like hiring the wrong people to support you. And then, oh, there's drama. Oh, got it. Got to put out that fire. So that would allow them to play into that subconscious pattern. And so rewiring that was a big is a, a consistent one that I see, especially for people who've had success in a past career or business or, or role. How would you say or go about doing like the cultivate our confidence? Because like we've had the success in it, but yet we're always like self-doubting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, it comes down to looking for proof. Like, yes, there's belief, but I guarantee you that there is more proof of your capabilities and your competency because col- confidence is, is cultivated and confidence is directly correlated to competence. And I don't think we really give ourselves enough credit for having gotten this far, like for how far we have actually made it. The fact that you are alive today, like that's that first of all, accomplishment number one. (laughs) And keeping other living things alive. (laughs) And keeping other living beings alive, whether it's a dog or a donkey or, you know, four children. (laughs) That's an accomplishment. And when you look at all the things that you've actually accomplished to this point, like we don't give ourselves enough credit or celebrate ourselves enough, especially high achievers, or do we, and we need to stack our belief system. Like, so when we see something working out in our favor, really reinforce it, recognize it, become aware of it. Um, there's a quote by Rumi um, that I'm going to paraphrase because I don't know it directly, but it was, it was basically like, live as if life, it, live as if the deck is completely stacked for you and that everything is stacked in your favor. And when you start looking at it, then you'll start seeing every single way that you've somehow managed to figure it out up until this point. And thus, for whatever thing that you're going for next, whatever goal you're going for next, you when you build up the belief that no matter what, you can figure it out, you're unstoppable then. But it comes down to consistently, daily recognizing how far you've come. I think it's sad that our culture focuses on like the negative aspect of that or the, you know, giant skyrocketing, quote unquote, overnight success that took 12 years for that person to suddenly <laughs> get recognized. And then suddenly they have that recognition. And they're like, <gasps> well, because they put in 12 dang years behind the scenes <laughs> consistently showing up day in and day out when no one was liking their content. And now 
they've gotten to a point where they've built that audience. They built the relationships. So yes, they have the, 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 yeah, they put in the labor. Because that really any no overnight success isn't overnight when you actually look at it. Unless it's the lottery. <laughs> well, then they don't keep it very long. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly why. That's exactly why. It's because the lottery is like getting hit by money. Like, thank God I didn't hit my financial goals when I was when in 2017. Because I was a new mom. I was struggling with some stuff postpartum. I was dealing with, you know, having a baby that was so that brought up all of my unconscious stuff. Suddenly all those things. Oh, it brought up so much for me. And yet I was in a business coaching program where there were these women that were making all of these huge, audacious, massive goals of we're going to have our million dollar year. And I remember I was, I had my affirmations. I was like, I'm having my million dollar year. Thank God I didn't have it. Like, seriously, I I was not personally developed enough to sustain it to like it would have been a complete trauma response with it and probably financial bulimia of like receiving it and then everything going out to expenses because I didn't have the responsibility that tied into the great power because money money is power and with great power comes great responsibility. So when we look at that responsibility, how are like because of that, if you want, it's just a very simple like mathematical equation. If you want to increase your power, quote unquote money, you must also increase that which you are responsible for. Meaning if we look at the word of responsible, like what are you responding to? Are you responsible to a team? Are you responsible to your children? And so many people want to punch me in the face when I talk about personal responsibility because it's like the unsexiest thing you can talk about (laughs) and nobody wants to own up to it. And especially my high achievers who they hate seeing themselves in a victim role. So they put themselves in being so responsible that they're responsible for everything. They're responsible for everyone. And that's not actually responsibility either because responsibility is neutral. It's a neutral emotion. And versus putting yourself at fault, which means then you're taking everybody else's percentage of responsibility. You can only take 100% responsibility. You're not allowed to take 10%, 20%, 30% of anybody else's. Like that's that's where it comes to boundaries. (laughs) So understanding where that boundary line is. And then from there, being able to say like, this is how I'm responding in the situation with not immediacy, not reactivity, but responding and responding to the to the calling of whatever it is that is that thing that you need to respond to, whether it's your accountant, whether it is, you know, responding to the calling to hire a coach, even though you may not have the money at this moment, whether it is the response to go out and, you know, ask for that sale and you need to respond to that customer instead of like, oops, I'll just, you know, I'll get back with them maybe tomorrow because I don't want them to reject me. Like, it's it's what are you responding to your your money will increase to the level of responsibility that you're willing to accept that's a good one thank you you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> so what are some big goals that you're looking to achieve the next year or two the next year we just started a podcast guesting agency for high six figure on seven figure entrepreneurs and and up who are building their personal brand through podcasting. And we are looking to take that to our million dollar year. 
That's that's our big goal financially. Our big goal personally is that we started an abundance initiative where we're calling it the first 15, where we want to donate 15% of our profits to save 15 children from child trafficking because we are in the business of transforming people's stories. And through our agency that we have, we're in the business of unlocking the hero inside of every story. And the greatest transformation story is one from enslavement to freedom. Now, we can be enslaved by our belief systems, enslaved by our programming of how we quote unquote should be. Those are all great. And you probably have all your resources that you need if you're now working on the mental, emotional level of dealing with your belief systems. But there are literally kids out there who are enslaved. And that's what we're working on, liberating. And that's our commitment. And I'm so excited that like I came back home from my mastermind and my told my team that and they're like yes. <laughs> so and we're looking to grow our team uh 10x our team this year so that's that's really exciting so how would that affect your business 10xing the team would allow me to then remove myself from some of the roles because as a, as a business owner as you know when you first start a business based on the skill set that you're good at the problem is, is that you're now no longer just doing that skill set that you're good at, but you're doing 24 other roles. You're the content creator, you're the social media manager, you're the bookkeeper, you're the, all of these things. And so I already have a great team of five amazing uh, women and just hired my first men who, man who could keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! And, you know, along with freelancers and my husband is my my greatest salesman. I got to not retire him. I don't really fully love that term, but got to allow him to transition into just being full-time, full-time daddy. And then he does sales for me on the side and he's like actually really good because he believes in me wholeheartedly and he's easy to sell. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so with that, like, I'm excited to remove myself from some of the additional roles that I'm currently operating in as we grow the team. So you're ready for that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I got, I got two babies under five. <laughs> Mama wants to be with them playing trains more than, you know, managing the social media. Yes. Because <laughs> sometimes that's a big transition for people letting it go, right? Let it go. Let it not be perfect. Be the leader, be the owner, not the operator. That's the biggest transition. And, and your idea. Like, Sorry, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and your idea of perfect might not be the perfect perfect. <laughs> exactly. You never know what's actually perfect until you put it out into the physical realm. Like it's what it's everything seems perfect in the mental and emotional realm. You're like, this is amazing. This idea is phenomenal. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, how can people not love it? And then like, that's why, you know, courses and marketing and marketing uh, experiences flop. Like you put it out in the physical, you're like, wow, that just wasn't received at all. Like that was actually what what drew me to starting the agency was because I initially put out Communication Queens as a course and my clients loved it. First founding class was great. They got results, got started getting booked on podcasts, started getting clients from it, started their own podcast. It was amazing. And then I released it to other launches and it just bombed. Now, I can also say as a leader, like my mindset during those launches was really challenged because I lost that in that year, I lost three family members and two 
close family friends um, and just had a baby. So all of those factors come. Oh, and moved countries because we, we lived in Australia during the <laughs> during the pandemic, moved back to California. And then this January, we moved to Texas. And uh, so there was a lot of transition. And so being graceful with myself of recognizing, yeah, I didn't want to put all my energy into a launch. And when I pulled my audience, I said, like, guys, you know this, you know, I deliver on my courses, like, what's up? And they said, really, we just we don't want to learn how to do this. We just want somebody to do it for us. And I was like, okay, (laughs) right. Great direction. All you had to do was ask. Great. Pivot. And so (laughs) that's that's how we started the agency side. And it really came from just being in relationship with my customers and knowing what they wanted and not being scared to ask yeah yeah and not being also scared to admit when you have a flop like mm-hmm. when a piece of content flops you can be like hey can you you know especially for some of the people that you if you're if you you know spend hours creating a reel that you're like oh, this is gonna be so good this is gonna change lives and like no one responds to it it's like crickets and then suddenly you put up like a one-line quote and it just is like oh this is amazing like I had this conversation with my social media manager the other day I said she's like one of your videos is going like viral compared to our social media numbers and I was like which one she said the one with the shoes I was like (laughs) what like a TikTok video that I had created where I just was in the airport noticing that I was the only one in heels and like I was in these hot pink stilettos and everybody else was in their like Crocs and for some reason I don't know what it is like I'm not a fan of this fashion sense but like wearing the socks with the sandals not my style (laughs) but it's the airport style apparently (laughs) and I was just filming everybody's feet I'm like does everybody just have a foot fetish that I don't know about (laughs) (laughs) but it was it was truly just looking at like okay well what was a it was nonchalant a there was no pressure there was no like and it was just a simple message of like just be fully you (laughs) right (laughs) don't be scared to post what pops into your mind (laughs) yeah post what pops into your mind it doesn't all have to be perfectly in fact my best posts and my best clients have come from just me getting initial gut hit and responding and just being, just reaching out and sending an email, being like, is it time to work together again? And they'll be like, oh my God, how did you know? I was thinking about you all this past week. <laughs> Subconscious mind connected to higher consciousness, just saying. <laughs> what do you think's the number one roadblock that's holding you, that would be in the way of you achieving those goals? That would be in the way? Mm-hmm. I have noticed that I more often have been using my kids as as a loving, glorious excuse. And this was a a commitment that I had early on where I, my coach actually said, your, your children can be your greatest excuse, your greatest asset. And I had let full force into, into coaching and into building my business and I was like, oh, hell no, my kids are never going to be my excuse or my greatest asset. My my youngest, my my first was my my greatest motivator. And he just like I built my business with him on my chest. Like I was I would be sending out my content, connecting with clients. Obviously, he did, I didn't have him like that for coaching sessions, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a little distracting. But I mean, he's on like all of my old YouTube videos as well. And, you know, not all of them, but he definitely would pop in from time to time and. I just, I, I, so easy 
with him. My second one, a little more demanding. Like, he is definitely just a, a different baby. And, like, is I my first didn't really have that deep, like, attack. Like, he we were definitely attached. And I maybe it's because I breastfed him for two and a half years. Maybe it's because, you know, there's all the reasons as to why it could be. My almost two-year-old now, he just is, like, mama's boy. Like, I heard him last night because I, I was working from my office. And my husband was, my husband went to sleep with him. And like I heard him wake up in the middle of the night and he was like he got so mad that it was daddy <laughs> next to him not mommy and so that's that's where I think my biggest piece is and I think the more that we get into the flow of ha- like now actually being settled in a location that like we manifested our dream house we manifested our our amazing property exactly where we want to be in this world like it's it could not have come together better And now we're getting into the flow of like, what support, how do we need to support each other as a team? Like, uh, I mean, your mother also is a part of your team. And so, you know, like for, for us, like my mom, she lost, like I lost five family members and two friends, but for my mom, like that was her husband, her sister and her mother. And so she's processing a lot of grief and stuff. And so, yes, she is our, our nanny, and like part time and but she's also needing to process. And so my husband and I lovingly call her our teenager because <laughs> she's like, we'll help out. And then she needs to go off and do like her own thing. And yeah. and that's that's where we're at. And so it's it's just getting into a rhythm and also having the courage to ask for the support that we need. So how do you not let your kids be the excuse? I look at whenever I'm in that space, like I I look at where am I not taking personal responsibility, like for my own time and what are the non-negotiables that I need to have in place for my own boundaries. And, you know, moving into a new house, that was definitely, I had to figure out because my office was very centrally located and my, I have these gorgeous French doors and my kids would walk by and I just see this face of like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> he'll just stand there and cry and I'm like <laughs> I, 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 not a, a conducive environment so we actually moved my office to uh well I still have my office but now I just added on a second one and we had this beautiful atrium area that we weren't really doing anything we didn't know what to do with we thought it was going to be like a meditation room maybe a room for yoga and I thought well we just created a whole like gym let's just put the yoga in there put the detox center in there because we're creating like a whole wellness space big house you get you get a lot when you sell a house in california you get a lot in texas (laughs) (laughs) and and the so i turned that like outdoor atrium area into my office and it's great because it's by the pool so i'm i'm also recognizing like where i i know for me i'm a highly auditory processor so sounds really impact me and affect me. And so understanding your representational system of how you process and receive information through your primary representational system is incredibly important. Me knowing that I'm highly auditory and kinesthetic means that if I'm hearing sounds of other loving, amazing, under five distractions, that I, I it pulls my focus away completely. And so my new office is now in a space that 
is like right by the pool. So I have this like constant waterfall flow that drowns out all sound. So I know that I can go in there, work for a specific amount of time, come back out and just be fully present with my kids. So then that way it's not this muddled. I think where we, where I see most people and where myself even has, have gotten tripped up is when the boundaries get muddled. Very valid. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best advice that you have ever received? I'm going to go back to my mom's advice when I was like 16 and in the throes of bulimia. And she said, Kim, just be kind to yourself. And I, I like, it sounds so trite sometimes. And when you're in the thick of struggling and you're going for a big goal and you're wanting to have, you know, achieve or do something big, it can definitely feel a little like, like a comment that you just want to punch someone in the face. You're like, I am kind. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> like, <laughs> But it's, I've learned over the years to have, give myself grace and compassion. And I was actually listening to a podcast interview, which I rarely do. I rarely go back and listen to my own stuff. But I heard myself in one thing when I was recovering from bulimia. And I said, like, there was a commitment that I made when I chose recovery, when I knew there had to be a better way, where I said, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to do what it takes until it takes. And then when it takes, I'll keep doing that. And that's kind of the motto that I've built my business through of like, when you set big audacious goals, and sometimes, sometimes the goal is too big. Sometimes you actually need to set a smaller goal and get those micro wins in and stack up your wins rather than going for like running the full marathon without training. So for me, it comes down to both. Like I, I took my giant big goals and I, I make them smaller if I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by them. And because it can cause people, especially high achievers, and I found myself to slip into this where it causes you to be unkind to yourself and not recognize the sacrifices that you're making for maybe your mental health or your physical health of your sleep by just going for that that giant thing and instead have the micro wins, build in those micro wins. And sometimes that's, that is the compassion that you can have for yourself. Compassion for ourselves is so huge. Hey? I think it's we so don't give ourselves enough grace. <laughs> exactly. Just like we don't celebrate our wins enough. Like it's sometimes mm -hmm. giving ourselves. And there's a difference between giving yourself grace and slacking off. Mm -hmm. Like that's where the, the energies of masculine and feminine really come into play. Because if you're giving yourself grace all the time, but you're consistently breaking your commitments and out of integrity with what you're saying that you're going to do, then that's where you have to have a deeper conversation of assessing, okay, what am I really valuing? Because the more you stack up breaking your commitments to yourself, the more your unconscious mind is going to expect that. And the more it trains you to break your own commitments to not achieve and receive your goals. Like it trains you to settle. Like everything you're doing, good, bad, conscious, unconscious, is is training you. It's it's training your unconscious mind as far as what you will tolerate. So it goes back to that tolerating piece. So if you're there's a difference between having compassion and then recognizing is this a commitment that I need to reevaluate, that I need to like reassess so that I can stay in integrity and keep the commitments that I make to myself. That's that I did that recently with 75 hard where I was like 55 days in 
you know, I missed it because I forgot to take a picture one day. And I was like, ah, dang it. And so I started it again. And then I, I was really loving how I was feeling. And then there was just one day where I just realized that I was so tired that I was going to prioritize my sleep over that second workout. And I knew that that would mean that I quote unquote failed and had to start over. And I had to look at, is this a commitment at this point in my life that I really want to make to going full in? Or is this a lifestyle that I'd rather adopt that is more or less allowing me to do these things and not be beholden to like, I have to have this 75 hard and do it 75 days straight go hard or go home. Like it, every time you have compassion with yourself, it also allows you to assess like what are the commitments that you're really committed to and how do you need to stay in integrity with those commitments? I'm curious to know what you chose. <laughs> I actually, I chose to do 75 sleep. <laughs> right <laughs> that was my change I, I was like I instead I'm going to choose to commit to instead of going hard to going to sleep <laughs> and to committing to getting six and a half hours maybe seven ideally hours of sleep a night um am I perfect at it no but when I look at my sleep record I'm like yes it's getting better like it's it's headed in the right direction and <laughs> leveraging that sleep time and knowing how important that is for my own mental health and my own everything presence is is essential and that was more important than getting two workouts a day very true I don't know that I can trust my watch it said I was asleep when I was sitting there reading <laughs> I'm like I know I was awake <laughs> yep. and then I wasn't even on me and I got another hour of sleep I'm like I was like hustling in the kitchen <laughs> yep yep yeah, I put my phone down one time and I was I was chatting with my husband. And so it recorded like two hours of sleep that I was like, I was on the couch drinking wine with my husband. Right? <laughs> that was not sleeping. That was a Saturday night in our house. <laughs> Unless it felt like sleep, then that could be a different story. <laughs> yeah, quite to sleep for my body. <laughs> Not fully, not, not always fully. Sometimes a good transcendental meditation will, but not fully not sleeping. What's the best advice that you've ever given? I think for me, it's like, I'll give book recommendations. That's probably my, my when I, because when I see someone struggling with a circumstance, or an experience. I don't as as a coach, I like to find help people find their own outcomes and their own solutions and navigate it with questions. And so just probably like I either give a book or I'll ask a new question. And then the question typically is how instead of using why, what question would you ask yourself? Because so often when we ask ourselves why, we, especially when it's faced in a negative direction of like, why, why do these results suck? Well, here's this reason from, you know, when you were four, here's, you know, this experience you had, here's, you know, all the self-limiting beliefs that you have. 
So why is a great question when it's directed toward purpose and vision, but it's a really sucky question when it's directed at like anything negative, anything toward a failure, anything toward a mistake. It's, it's not a great question. So I'll typically ask if you were to think of this as a what or how question, what would that look like? And then when we switch the question to being a what or how question, that will give us strategy. And that allows us to de-identify from the answer and instead look at it from a place of strategy. It's not you, it's your strategy. It's amazing how much just changing that energy behind it affects moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very slight shift, but your language, it's magical. And your word is your wand. So being able to direct a question toward what is it that you actually do want? Game changer. Mm-hmm. Look careful what you bippity boppity boo. <clears throat> Why they call it spelling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have enjoyed our time together, Kimberly. Thank you. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on that we haven't yet? I feel very complete. Is there anything you would have wanted me to touch on that we haven't? Mm. Maybe discovering zone of genius. Ooh, my favorite topic. (laughs) So really quickly, there, I have so many favorite topics. So really quickly, your zone of genius is that thing that you could do for free, but you don't, let me just be clear, (laughs) for free, all day, every day. Um, You love it. It lights you on fire. For example, like I love one-on-one intimate conversations, whether that's a coaching conversation, whether that is a podcast interview. I have three podcast interviews today and multiple coaching sessions and I know that by the end of today I'm going to be on fire like I'll have more energy by the end of the day than I did starting out and that's already with my coffee with mushrooms in it like (laughs) not those kind of mushrooms just reishi and but your zone of genius it there's there's multiple zones so that this really stems out of the the book the 15 commitments of conscious leadership breaks it down brilliantly And the first one is your zone of competence. And these are the things that you can do. They, you could probably delegate them to somebody else. Like, honestly, when I see people delegate out their zone of competence, that's when money really significantly increases in people's businesses. But you're competent in it. You can build a funnel. You can build a landing page. You can write an email. It just depends on what that is, what that zone of genius for you is. Um, Then you have the zone of excellence, and that is the zone that you are praised for, which is the harder one and the trickier one, because sometimes that feeds our egoic need for validation, and we get that. For example, when I first started coaching, um, about a year into my actually coaching and actually making money in my business, I started to wonder if what I was doing enough was, you know, creating lifelong emotional and business transformation in somebody's life enough. That was just my own belief system. So I decided let's add on website design. Let's add on like a whole other piece to this so that they work with me and then they get their their website and that re- completely reflects them. And let's do the coaching as well. 
Well, I found that after hours of coaching sessions, I would feel illuminated. After hours of website design, I would be like, can I take a nap? Like, and people would say, oh my gosh, it looks so beautiful. How did you do that? It looks so great and it's so cohesive and it's a cohesive brand. And I would feel drained. And I decided to stop including that in any offering simply because I realized that that was in my zone of excellence. People were praising me for it, but it wasn't actually the thing that I do really, really well. And so I chunked up to what is my zone of genius. And my zone of genius is very simple. It's in connecting, creating, and challenging. I'm very good at connecting people, connecting patterns to behavior, making connections in that sort of way. I'm very good at creating and I'm very good at challenging. I'm an Enneagram 8, <laughs> born to do this. <laughs> and so it's that understanding what it is that you do well. For example, my my ops manager, Marie, she's genius zone at spreadsheets. I'm a Virgo. I love a good organized spreadsheet, but I don't I, like if I was inputting every single little thing, mind numbing for me, absolutely mind numbing, but she loves it, loves it. And like when you can celebrate the differences and you, why your zone of genius is your zone of genius and not somebody else's, that's, that's when you, and, and you then hire people for their zones of genius. That's when you see fast, explosive, amazing growth. But it comes down to rec surrendering and letting go of those things that are in your zone of competence. And especially in your zone of excellence, because that's the one that actually drains you. Right. Yeah. We want to be on fire at the end of the day. On fire. Yeah. Pilates was in my zone of excellence for sure. Like there were parts of it that were in my zone of genius. But after multiple years of teaching it, I realized like, no, I'm like that. This is more in my zone of excellence. It allowed me to challenge people. And I had enough knowledge about the body where people were like, oh, my gosh, you know so much. And I, that was like felt good for my ego, but it wasn't fully what I wanted to do. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Where can we go to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. If you love this podcast and you like listening to podcasts, you can tune in to the Crown Yourself with Kimberly Spencer podcast and you can head on over to crownyourself.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Virginia. It's been such a pleasure hanging out with you. <laughs> it has been fun. Have a great day and we'll catch you soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and leave some love through a review. And I'll catch you on the next episode.